Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Top Docs Radio, brought to you by Medical Association of Georgia. With over 7,800 physician members, MAG is pleased to advocate on behalf of Georgia's patients and physicians. Visit mag.org and on Twitter at mag1849. Join the conversation on Twitter at Top Docs on BRX. Hey, what's up, everyone? It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Top Docs Radio Show. Thank you so much for making us a part of your day again today. We've continued our series with the Medical Association of Georgia, and I'm very pleased to have with me in the studio today Georgia House Representative Alan Peak. He serves Georgia's 141st district, which includes Macon. And he is in his sixth term in the Georgia House. And in 2015, Representative Peake sponsored the Haley's Hope Bill. And it's a measure that was signed into law that allows Georgians who have specific conditions, including children who have seizures and others, to possess medical cannabis oil in Georgia. And as we know, we've seen the news. It can be a bit of a contentious discussion on both sides of, of the issue with folks who, with strong opinions. And I'm very pleased to have you here to talk about why should we contemplate such a thing. I'll tell you straight off the top that, that I myself support it. Just so you know, <laughs> I can give my opinion here. It's my show. And so I, I'm, I'm with you on making this available. And I'd love to get into your perspective on what brought this about to be an issue in the forefront for you to okay, begin sure. with. Sure. Well, uh, thank you for having me on your show. I'm, I'm grateful to be here and chat about an issue that I'm very passionate about and, uh, and has become a very important issue to me and to hundreds and thousands of Georgians across the state. My story of being involved in this is, is rather unique. I'm a conservative Republican. I've never smoked marijuana in my entire life, never done drugs at all. I have plenty of vices. Otherwise, I can assure you that. But uh, but drugs has not never been one of them. And four years ago, uh, I had a uh, m- mother who uh, who had a four year old daughter who called me and very simply said, um, uh, "Please help my family." And uh, and they began to tell me the story of the little girl who had whose name was Haley, who had a uh, hundred to two hundred seizures a day, was looking at moving to Colorado with her mom, being separated from the dad, from the support network, from their church. Uh, because they couldn't access medical cannabis uh, uh, oil here in Georgia, and there was clear evidence that that medical cannabis oil could help with the reduction in seizures, for particularly for young children. And so, the more I got into their story, the more I thought, "Gosh, this is something that we we really need to address here in our state." And then a couple of days later, I went and met little Haley Cox, and uh, she was in the hospital at Eggleston on her deathbed. Mm-hmm. And when I met Haley and her mom and dad. Uh, I was hit with the question that really each of us have to ask, what would I do if this was my child? Right. And that's what set the wheels in motion for me personally uh, and professionally, that I was going to do whatever it took uh, to try and advance legislation that would allow Georgia citizens to make the personal decision in consultation with their physician uh, to have access to medical cannabis oil here in Georgia. And that culminated eventually in a two-year effort uh, in Haley's Hope Act that was signed in April of 2015 by the governor. It's been in place for two years now. The sky has not fallen. Uh, there's not been a public health hazard or a public safety issue because of medical cannabis oil being allowed for certain medical conditions in Georgia. And uh, and so now we're looking at um, the opportunity to expand uh, that law to allow more Georgia citizens who have debilitating illnesses to be able to uh, have the legal right to possess it here in Georgia. As it relates to the use of the medical cannabis oil, I mean, what exactly did the did that law, when it passed in 2015, what did it do? It allowed the legal possession for medical cannabis oil, one, if you're registered with the state, because you have one of eight medical qualifying conditions. Okay. And uh, now, 
that gives you the ability to be able to possess it here in Georgia. The big flaw in the law uh, is that there's not a way to be able to access the product unless you, uh, one, either go to another state and bring it back, which is a violation of federal law, or what has happened in a lot of families is they've uh, illegally bought the flower, the plant here in Georgia, made the oil themselves. And so then you're at a risk of, well, you don't know what you're getting. You don't know what the THC level is. You're not sure what the uh, um, proper status of the product is. And so we realize it's an imperfect law. But it was the best we could do at the time to get through the legislature and um, and the best we can do at this point, probably until uh, we have another governor. Where do we stand right now? I mean, with regards to trying to take care of some of those things, is that, is that kind of the big hang up you're saying that even if we manage to craft something that folks on both sides of the issue will go with, well, they don't, don't know that it'll pass at the top? Of it, until we pass legislation that allows and sets up a a regulatory infrastructure for cultivation, processing, and distribution of the medical cannabis oil here in Georgia, which is really what we need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's clear that that would not get the final signature of of our current governor. And so that's why we're not going down that path at this time. Do the best thing we can otherwise and allow citizens to have the legal right to possess it if they're properly registered with the state. And so um, it still puts folks in a difficult situation of where do they get it? And and I'll chat about some of the options that families have come to on that. But um, but at this point, this is the best we can do with the current structure. So where do we go looking at this year, things that may be either in committee or that we're working to to try to gain support for such that it would be able to accomplish what you're hoping for? Are there, are there some stuff in the works that, right now? That there is. When it was clear that uh, we would not be able to uh, pass a cultivation bill, um, at least during the last two years of Governor Deal's administration, uh, we, we said, okay, well, let's let's take a two-prong approach. Let's uh, we, So we introduced HB 65, which is an expansion of the current law to, to add six more conditions to uh, the law, and th- those conditions include Tourette syndrome, autism, PTSD, Alzheimer's, AIDS, and intractable pain. Um, and so that's that's the bill that we're moving forward on. I believe it's got some good momentum. I believe we'll uh, have it pass the House in the next couple of weeks. The second approach was uh, H.R. 36, which is a constitutional amendment that would be put on the ballot in November of 2018 and let the citizens decide, uh, let, let Georgia voters decide whether they want to allow the cultivation of marijuana for uh, medicinal purposes here in our state. What kind of patient population are we talking about? Not not necessarily what they're dealing with, as you as you just kind of shared, but um, how many people are we talking about? I with those patients, the groups that you just mentioned, it would seem to me that we're talking about a few people. Well, uh, right now, uh, after two years of the law being in place, there are thirteen hundred people that have registered with the state who have one of the eight original medical conditions. Um, now, keep in mind, these people have signed up for the registry, and they can't even get the product. So it shows you the demand uh, here in Georgia for folks who at least want this as an option for their debilitating illness. Uh, I would imagine if we add uh, the six conditions that we're looking at, that that we could potentially double that, triple that, maybe even um, quadruple that number. Uh, but until we have an access point here in Georgia, we're going to continue to have challenges uh, getting folks registered with the state when they know they're going to have the difficulty mm-hmm. uh, obtaining the, the medicines uh, some other place. Yeah. I mean, that that's what I was thinking as you were saying that. I honestly thought you were going to say it was a whole lot more, but I would imagine that knowing where things are around the legality of it here in the state, that those parents and, and patients 
family members have just decided to go to probably what are fairly readily available channels to obtain what they're looking for. But they are. And so what we've forced, that the shame is, is that we've forced by our law everyday citizens to potentially become criminals to go obtain the medicine, to be uh, to obtain the cannabis oil. And, uh, and so... The, the real solution, there are two solutions. One, if we had a regulatory structure here in Georgia for cultivation, that would be the solution. But also, there's uh, if, if, if Congress would take some action and uh, if they would reschedule marijuana from a Schedule One drug to a Schedule Two or Three drug, allowed to be researched, allowed to be prescribed through a, um, uh, uh, through a pharmacist. Uh, and, and there is a bill in Congress that would do that, actually would, would reschedule marijuana and deschedule CBD, which is the therapeutic part of the plant uh, completely. And so uh, maybe we'll see some action at Congress. Um, but but so far, you know, <laughs> I'm not I'm not holding my breath. And so I'm trying to do what we need to do at the, at the state level uh, at this point. When it comes to having it prescribed, that must mean that there are some physicians around the state that are willing to prescribe the cannabis oil for patients. I mean, talk about that a little bit. I mean, okay. what what kind of size of the physician community is looking at, you know, making this available? Well, under current law, uh, the physician just to register someone with the uh, low THC oil registry, which they can find also, they can go to my state representative, Alan Peak Facebook page, and we can point them in the right direction um, uh, to where to get to that registry. Uh, the, all they have to do is, is confirm that a patient has the qualifying condition. So they're not actually prescribing it because it's still a Schedule One drug. They can't prescribe it. Yeah, you um, misused the word. It yeah, recommend. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. But but there are now there are thirteen hundred patients, citizens that are signed up for the registry. There are over three hundred doctors who have actually signed up for the registry to to uh, recommend those uh, patients. So that 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 list is growing as well too. This is not just one or two docs who are saying, okay, we're gonna you know we believe in medical marijuana. There are three over three hundred physicians who have signed up for this registry. I believe it shows that the demand is there uh, and why it's time to uh, move forward with expanding the current law and take that next step of letting Georgia citizens vote in 2018 Mm -hmm. uh, to grow marijuana here in the state for medicinal purposes. When it comes to the medical community, obviously we're trying to reach out to those other physicians out there that might be seeing these patients in their offices to, you know, potentially help them feel more comfortable with suggesting this is a possible course of action for these families. I mean, obviously, and, and before we went on the air today, I talked a little bit about some of the uh, places where I've practiced clinically, having a large body of randomized double-blind Perspective studies is not necessarily easy just for logistical reasons as much as some ethical ones as well. But, you know, that being said, I mean, evidence is important. Um, those that that really take their practice seriously, I mean, they, they really want to see some measure of evidence and don't want to be prescribing or recommending things as a physician that, that aren't supported by some sort of data that shows that this really does what we're saying. What would you say to those those physicians? Well, I understand the medical community's uh, basis for their conclusion, that they are driven by data and they are driven by uh, evidence. And um, and because marijuana is a Schedule One drug, there is still very limited research, yeah. at least in the United States, uh, regarding its use. Okay, but let's step back for just a minute. Marijuana has been smoked for a thousand years. We know that no one has ever overdosed on marijuana. We know that. That's a fact, okay? Uh, We also know the effects of marijuana. What we're talking about 
is mar- uh, medical cannabis oil with a very low THC level that is so low you cannot get high on it. There's no psychoactive effect from a, from what Georgia law is, which is 5% THC. So while there's not clinical uh, double-blind placebo testing uh, evidence, uh, there's real-world evidence <laughs> for a thousand years of people who have been smoking marijuana. Yes. Secondly, there have been significant studies in Israel and in other countries uh, that provide overwhelming evidence that there's medicinal value in marijuana. And so, um, so, so while, while some of the medical community, which I have tremendous respect for, and I have many friends in the medical community, um, want to say, well, we're not going to trust what's done in Israel or what's been done in another yes. in another country. Uh, we're only going to wait until there, there are double-blind placebo testing done in the States. Well, um, we, we may be waiting for a long time because, uh, because marijuana is still a Schedule One drug, and the research is just not going to be allowed here in the state. But there is real-world, real-life, overwhelming anecdotal evidence that I hear every single day from the folks who have signed up for the registry, from for those who are asking us that they wish they could be signed up for and wish their qualifying condition would be, uh, that, that who want the ability to be able to use this in consultation with their physician to, to deal with the debilitating pain or debilitating illness that they face on a daily basis. Yeah. I realize that there can be a, a measure of agenda, if you will, in in terms of how I interpret results and, and so forth. So the whole randomized study is is obviously, it serves a purpose, but at some point, thousands or even larger numbers of case studies begin to have some measure of value. I read a, I read a review of literature, actually, in the British uh, Journal of Medicine, and it was one that, I, in my opinion, really applies here. And it, it was reviewing literature that supported the need for a parachute uh, to survive a fall from a great height. And as you might expect, there's not a whole lot of studies that have been done that would validate that, that in fact, that parachutes actually are necessary to survive a fall from a great height. And there are examples of people that were able to tumble thousands and tens of thousands of feet in the case of World War II, falling out of bombers that were shot down and so forth, and they lived. Mm -hmm. So one might reasonably assume that you don't have to have a parachute. I'm wondering if any of our colleagues who say, I only will do this if you show me a randomized double-blind placebo study to prove this to me, if they're going to jump out of that airplane without a parachute. Well, it's interesting. I want to know. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. (laughs) Even with my colleagues in the legislature, and it's probably this way with the medical community as well, sometimes until there's, there's a personal connection yeah. with someone who has had a particular debilitating illness and seen the positive results from medical cannabis, um, that's what changes people's hearts yeah. and minds. That's what happened with me. Right. I mean, you know, I had no interest in this issue whatsoever until I met somebody who saw their life transformed because of access to medical cannabis oil. I had, I, I mean... Almost daily, I have someone who contacts me and says, either thank you so much for passing this law because it has made a tremendous difference in the quality of my life, or I wish you would uh, add my medical condition so I could access it. Um, the stories are really overwhelming. We had a, a hearing uh, uh, in the Georgia legislature a couple of weeks ago um, where we had a pediatrician uh, who came in and spoke about her autistic son. and. Okay, here's a physician who's trained uh, to know that they only need to give their patients, including someone who would be their son, who would be their patient, you know, prescription medicine, whatever the case may be. She went to the extreme measure because 
she had had evidence from other, someone else that medical cannabis oil worked and gave it to her son and has seen remarkable difference in their autistic child. And so, yes, I understand why the medical community wants this testing, but I continue to point to that you've got to look at real-world anecdotal evidence that is clearly compelling on this issue. I would agree with that. I, I think that that does not diminish the the credibility of someone in the medical field, whether they're a physician or other prescriber potentially, that who who in their mind might be putting themselves at some sort of ethical or legal risk if they were recommending this. To, I think that it's worth paying attention to these stories. And I, I just I, I I have a hard time simply just dismissing that case as ah oh, that's just a coincidence that. Yeah, he the, just got better anyway. There, there are too many coincidences <laughs> for it. To, you know, the fact that it's a Schedule One drug that it technically says there is no medicinal value is the first real fallacy. <laughs> you know, I mean, there clearly is medicinal value in marijuana. So the question is, why are we not rescheduling it? Why is it Congress not taking the action to take it off a of Schedule One drug? And uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but by nature, but it sure makes you wonder, you know, is, is the pharmaceutical companies, are they the ones that are driving? I mean, who knows? I, You know, but there's would, clearly a medicinal value there. It, it would seem to me that as much as anything that, at least up to this point in time, I think a lot of that uh, inertia around the issue has been born out of who who feels okay with st- sticking their neck out on on an issue that, I suppose one might think, well, geez, this is going to paint me in a bad light if I'm supporting the use of marijuana, that I'm going to look like I'm like pro-drug use. Right. Uh, I would assert that particularly when it's centered around this particular facet of it, that that, that is not the case. I, I know that there are colleagues of yours that that feel as though that this is merely the just the 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 tip of the iceberg and sure. and it just flows downhill from there and then pretty soon then we're widening it and widening it and it's and and then we're Colorado. Oh, I've I've heard the slippery slope argument yes. too. I'm nauseous over it. Uh, <laughs> and and I you know to my colleagues I, and and I, a lot of whom who have gotten it and have supported this issue, uh, but the ones that are still think that you know I, I say that's our responsibility. It's our responsibility as legislators whether we go down that path or not. You know, and if people vote us in who want us to go down that path, that's the direction we'll go. If they don't want us to go down that path, then we, we, we won't go down the path of recreational use. I don't support the use of uh, marijuana for recreational use, strictly advocating uh, specifically for medicinal purposes. I know as it relates to the use of marijuana oils and marijuana in general, actually, for certain patients, that one of the reasons why some of those individuals turn to this substance is for pain control. And I know that obviously that the abuse and addiction to prescription medications is a is a truly it's being described as an epidemic not only just in Georgia but across the country. Here in Georgia, I know the Medical Association of Georgia Foundation has put together a, an, an initiative called the Think About It campaign, wherein they're trying to raise understanding and awareness among the 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 patients out there, how do you store pain medications when you have them? Because if they're just laying around, then they're available for someone else that might not, they may not be intended for to get a hold of them. So there's that. There was some focus on prescribing those prescription medications. Talk about 
what you have found with regards to in those states where they're utilizing and allowing the use of medical marijuana for medicinal reasons, what does that look like in that patient? Okay, well, it's clear that we have an opioid epidemic in our state and across our country. Uh, And there's several pieces of legislation that my uh, colleagues are are attempting to pass to deal with that. Some of them have have some real merit. Um, But but we heard testimony in a House committee uh, recently from Dr. David Bradford, who is the chair of public policy at the University of Georgia, and he's done a peer-reviewed research paper and that, that gives a clear conclusion that in states that have proper uh, medical marijuana legislation and, and dispensary programs in place, there is a significant decrease in usage of opioids, in uh, abuse of the opioids, uh, and therefore relating in a reduced cost to the taxpayers from Medicaid and Medicare uh, standpoint of those prescription drugs. But more importantly, there is a significant decrease in deaths caused by overdose from opioids. So if we really if we really are serious about dealing with the opioid epidemic in our state, then we'll pass proper and reasonable medical uh, marijuana legislation because it's statistically proven and data provides it and shows that uh, that there's a decrease in opioid addiction and abuse and deaths in states with medical cannabis legislation. You know somebody's going to want to see that. Do you have that somewhere on a website or well, on Facebook or someplace somebody can go? We, we do. They can, go to, they can go to my state representative, Alan Peake, Facebook page. Okay, uh, we've got the link um, fr- from, uh, for, from the research paper that was done by this uh, very distinguished uh, University of Georgia professor. When you talked about the the regulatory oversight and some infrastructure, what would that require to be able to accomplish that? Well, there are 28 states that now have full-blown medical marijuana programs in their state. Six of those states are recreational states as well, too. So 28 states have full-blown medical marijuana. There are 14 states that have low THC oil possession-only laws like we do. So there are 42 states out there. So there's lots of models to look at of how you would set up a regulatory structure. Uh, I would envision we would have something similar to what Minnesota has done, which is a limited licensee program uh, that allows uh, two to five vertically integrated uh, businesses, licensees, who would grow it, process it, and distribute it. And those licensees would be uh, regulated by the Department of Public Health. Um, and so I, I think there's a model out there that works. It's just a matter of uh, when are we ready in Georgia to move down that path? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm certainly pleased to be able to have you join us here in the studio to talk about this. I, I think that it's valuable for the, the medical community that have questions about it to be able to hear from someone such as yourself who's who's advocating. Why are you advocating for it? What are you looking at that makes you want to do that? And do you have, obviously, I'm sure Google Scholar is probably one place you can go and look for information around studies that are evaluating the effectiveness of cannabis oil, but are there particular sites or resources that you think would be good for somebody who's so inclined to do some research. Well, the, the, you can Google some research, and then you can do it. There, there's a uh, there's a uh, georgiashope.com, which is the uh, website that has been created. It has a list of studies that are done um, and that have been done across the state, even though limited, uh, as well as the ones in Israel and other countries as well too. So uh, that's a good site for folks to go to. They can again go to my. Facebook page, State Representative Alan Peake, and there's a whole source of information there that they can get to. And so, I mean, th- there is evidence out there. There is studies that have been done. They're just not the traditional 
double blind placebo testing that's done in normal uh, prescription drug uh, module. And so, um, but, but there is evidence out there in, in some studies. That, but, but again, I point back to that real world, real life anecdotal evidence that is so compelling that it cannot be ignored. I want to say, I know that you're very, very busy and for you to make your way over here to the studios to be able to sit in with us here in person is something that I'm appreciative of. I'm I'm happy to be sharing your perspective and, and being able to encourage our listeners and, and colleagues around the healthcare community to uh, take some time and, and not only to try to you know look at what is the strength of the evidence that's been done on a prospective basis that's certainly got value. Don't, don't get me wrong when I'm trying to talk about that. But I agree with you, Representative Peak, that that those anecdotal stories do have some value. And I, I, I believe, as you do, that after you have so many of those, it's it it becomes very difficult to just say they're they're all they're a coincidence of coincidences. Oh, yeah, there's no <laughs> doubt about it. I would encourage uh, your listeners, the the medical community that are out there, if you feel strongly about this issue, particularly for it. We need medical professionals to stand up and say, hey, uh, we, we, we want the right to be able to provide this to our patients and the ability to be able to provide it to our patients. Um, and to the other listeners, I would ask them to contact your local state rep and state senator. Tell them you, you support HB 65, which is the expansion bill, and HR 36, which is the constitutional amendment allowing voters the choice to decide on this issue as well, too. That's what moves the needle is when citizens uh, contact my colleagues and, and, and we listen. When folks contact us and tell us we feel strongly about an issue it, it moves the needle and so i would hope that uh, folks out there that are listening would would take that action we might have to have a panel show around this where we invite some family members and and possibly patients if they're uh, you know ones that would be able to sit and, and share their story i can tell you there are a bunch that will be more than willing to share their story <laughs> i think that that is useful i i think you know it's it's yet more information at the source of the, where we're trying to provide relief. So to be able to, as you say, bridge that gap and not move it from what kind of evidence do we have? Do we have a document that I'll I'll trust or what are these people experiencing? And I, I think that that might be useful. So maybe we can sure. put something like that together. We'd be more than glad to help with that. Sure would. <laughs> well, I want to say so. Thank you so much to Medical Association of Georgia for um, bringing guests like this to the show and, and helping us share information around issues that are affecting a lot of patients around Georgia and beyond. And uh, I really respect you taking some time to to sit in and share your perspective, even knowing that some of the folks that may listen to us don't necessarily agree with what you're saying. Today. Well, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate you sharing. Uh, this is an important issue in our state. And so thanks for bringing it uh, to the attention of listeners all over the state. Absolutely. If you've not done so already in the left-hand corner of the show page, you'll see the Apple logo. That'll take you over to the iTunes store where the Top Docs Radio Show podcast lives. You can subscribe to us. And each week when the new episode comes out, it'll be downloaded straight to your device, ready for you to check out when it's convenient for you. And this is an important issue. We hope you turn around and hit share, put it out on LinkedIn, put it out on Facebook, and help people begin to get educated about what is going on around this subject of the, the medical use of cannabis oil, which, as Representative Peak pointed out, does not get you buzzed or high or, or altered in any way, but does have some measure of effect in regards to the pain and other things that some of these patients are dealing with. So uh, take some time to uh, click share, and, and you might just be putting information in the hands of somebody that you care about. It makes a big difference for them. So thanks so much. You man. Thanks for having me. We'll catch you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then.